You are listening to the Mom and Dad Podcast. A podcast about balance, growth, and navigating through your 20s and 30s. Hello, you guys. Welcome back to the Mom and Dad Podcast. So this one, I feel like it was my wheelhouse. So hopefully... (laughs) So here's the thing. So Justin's in sales. So he's got credibility there, which we'll talk about in this podcast, why that's important. But like sales is not his first choice of his career, right? But it's still something that he, the things that he's learned from being in sales has been valuable to him in other aspects of life. These tools aren't just so you can become a good salesperson. They're not just for that. Like they can be used in other aspects. Yeah. And if you do happen to be in sales, I think they're they're still valuable. So yeah. don't think that it's just, you know, amateur hour over here where you're gonna get stuff only the basics. But then again, the basics are good to come back to over and over again. But yeah, it's uh hopefully it didn't get too much in the weeds. Um I I do tend to geek out on this stuff. So But that's okay. But yeah, again, yeah, we'll go into this as we start, but I don't think that you need to, people have a lot of different ideas when it comes to persuasion. And most of the time they think they associate it immediately with being salesy or manipulating or pressuring someone into doing something like that's not what this episode is about. Um, and it, it really, hopefully by the end of this, you will see just how much you how much more you use persuasion on a daily basis than you thought you did and hopefully you'll have more effective ways for persuading and inspiring people to you know take action take action or, or see the world the way that you see it or you know feel passionate about the causes that you feel passionate about or to become a better teacher or you know, a better parent or, you know, all of these, all of these things are applicable in, you know, daily life in a lot of other ways than people realize. Yeah. But I think it's funny because Justin is a great salesperson, but he's also really easily sold. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to bring this up because I think it's kind of funny. I used to be really, really easily sold though. So you're not comparing me to what I used to be. I'm much better at spotting when I'm getting sold. And I only let myself be sold if I want to be sold because I understand everything that people are trying to use on me. Okay, but if they hit your hot button and you know what your hot button is? What? A deal. No. Yes. No. If it is a deal, you will take it. And then you go and you tell... I know you get really excited about it because... When you find a deal, that's the first thing you say when you tell people you got something is it was such a good deal. Like, like, okay, example. Remember when we got our mattress, our bed True. mattress? We needed a mattress anyway, though. We were moving into a house. Yes, we were getting, we needed a mattress anyway. But the first thing you said was it was such a good deal. A deal is my hot button. If I can find a really great deal, but I, I, I'm not... I don't just buy things because they're a good deal. Like I don't buy useless things. I only buy things that I feel like I really need. I'm pretty frugal. You're making it sound like I'm just like this, just like big spender. <laughs> just yeah, like just going to Vegas and throwing down on the craps table. Like no, I I only respond to a good deal when it's something that I'm already in the market for. Well, I don't think that's entirely true, but we can we can go off that um, anyway today's episode is a good one i think you'll find a lot of value from it you may not pull everything like this is stuff that people invest their time in and really practice to nail this stuff but if there's maybe there's just one tool in here that will be valuable to you that you can use and you can practice and blah blah, blah. so i think there's a lot of value a lot of information in here that may be useful to you and yeah on that note let's get into it let's do it why do people need 
or would want to hear about how to be persuasive or learn about persuasion? I think the first thing you need to understand about persuasion is that it's not, it's not manipulation. Persuasion doesn't necessarily mean manipulation. It's taken on that stigma, but it, it could just as easily be termed, you know, instead of the art of persuasion, it could be the art of inspiration because people are naturally indecisive and they need, they need catalysts to get them to make changes or to make decisions in their lives that will benefit them. Yeah. So it's not just about you know being salesy or you know pressuring someone into to doing something your way or manipulating someone to acting a certain way or or doing or making a certain decision. It's it's helping to inspire people to do the things that they probably really want to do a lot of times, but they just need that catalyst and they they need that that transfer of certainty. Which really at the at the end of the day, the you could boil sales or persuasion down to a transfer of enthusiasm and certainty. And people need that in order to change, grow. The number one person that comes to my mind when I think of persuasion in a good form of persuasion, an ethical form of persuasion, is Tony Robbins. Yeah, he's the best. He's just incredibly persuasive. Mm -hmm. He gives you that enthusiasm that you're just talking about, and he makes you want to change. and. Persuasion doesn't have to be just with someone who is a motivational speaker mm -hmm. or someone in that realm. Like persuasion can be used with like if you have a cause that you want to spread the word about, like pushing beating people down and being like you need to know this. Like you're an idiot if you don't know this mm -hmm. or do this. Like your point is not it's not going to come across mm -hmm. to the other person and it's not going to make the other person want to do what you want them to do. Yep. And that's what we'll focus on today is helping you to have tools and understand the psychology of persuasion so that you can stop doing it the way that it's, it has run rampant, which is just sort of bludgeoning people to try to see your way of, you know, thinking or, 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 you know, see the world or have beliefs that you think, but in reality, they need to be persuaded, and there's a way to do. There's a right way to do that, and there's a wrong way to do that. Yeah, and I think it can be really important to have these tools because it can be damaging to a community or to. It just puts out a lot of negativity when you're trying to get your point across in a way that's just hurtful. Mm -hmm. So, I think that this is valuable, and I think it'll be valuable to people who are listening. Yeah. And even if you don't have like a big cause or, you know, some, or you're not in sales or you're, you don't see yourself as needing to use persuasion, understand that you're using persuasion or persuasion is being used on you mm -hmm. every day. In just the simplest way, it could be, you know, what do you want to watch? It's like, okay, well, neither of us really know. So we're going to spend the next 30 minutes on Netflix, just scrolling through because we can't decide. And no one is taking the onus upon themselves to pick something and transfer so, certainty about it. If that is you, if you, you are sitting there, who doesn't do that? Everybody, we do that. We do that. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying is like, everyone can be better at using persuasion and it can it can be helpful in in seemingly useless ways. Like what what should we go where should we go for dinner? I don't know, wherever you want. Okay. How about here? Eh, no, I don't really want to. You know, like the, these I things think, I think those examples are more of just like people being indecisive. Like what's But your that's point? what I'm that's what's the point, point I'm making is that we all appreciate that person who when we're in a group of people and you say, where do you want to go? And then we spend 20 minutes, you know, or we're about to spend 20 minutes trying to decide and no one really wants to step up and try and, you know, make a case for a certain place and transfer that certainty that, hey, we're going to, this is going to be a great experience. Let's go here. You'll love the, you know, the mozzarella sticks are, are to die for. The service is great. We're going to love it. Like if you don't, if no one steps up, then it just becomes, and it's a, it's nothing a, gets solved. Nothing gets solved, and then everyone sort of ends up just wasting a lot of time. So I guess what you're trying to do is you're trying to give a very minuscule example of getting something done. Yes. And there's there's a range, there's a spectrum of using persuasion, whether it's deciding or 
getting people to go to this one restaurant or it's getting people to, I don't know, make real change. Yeah, there, there's a there's a utility in it from the most, I guess, useless or I'm trying to think of a better word than useless, but non-important aspects of your life to very, very important aspects. And we use that we use it every day. And the other aspect of getting better at being persuasive is you will understand when salespeople are trying to sell you something, Mm -hmm. you'll understand what they're doing to you and you'll be better equipped to not get sold because people hate, the reason people hate salesmen is because they hate being, they hate being sold because they get, you know, they buy a new car they shouldn't have bought. They get home and then their the partners, what did you, what did you buy that for? You, we can't afford that. Like, oh, I got sold. And then people hate that feeling, but they only got sold because they didn't realize what was happening to them. And that's where but that's it's unethical. also a, it's also a, def, what I'm saying is also a defense against manipulation because there is, let, let's, let's not get it wrong that there is manipulative sales tactics that people use to persuade and understanding the art of persuasion is also useful against or useful for defending against those tactics okay yeah so lots here for you today so if we haven't persuaded you that persuasion is important for your life by now (laughs) then you can probably just turn this off (laughs) pause exit out right now so what we're gonna kind of go into is there's and where this is coming from i've been in sales for seven years done a lot of study on the art of persuasion. And I think that probably the best way to start is to understand the the definition of it in, in a little more depth, because it really does come down to a transfer of enthusiasm and certainty. What most people do when they think about becoming more persuasive is they think about facts and statistics. And, oh, if I can just get this Oh, I found this study or these things or this this evidence to support my point. If I just shove that down someone's throat, they have to see it my way, right? But that's not the way that people make decisions. I mean, so so we're going to talk a little bit about the psychology of of decision making and how decision making does not happen with our prefrontal cortex or our logical brain or our logical conscious brain. It happens in our subconscious. Like when people say your gut, oh, my gut tells me this, that's, that's talking about your subconscious brain. And that is where your, your emotional, the emotional part of your brain is really where decisions are made and it's subconscious. So understanding that aspect of it alone can change your ability to be persuasive or not. So to start off the the discussion, when have you ever had a time where someone has tried to sell you on something and you just felt like it just didn't work? Yes, I saw this YouTube ad and it was about starting your own business. Mm-hmm. And basically it was a course about starting your own business and it would just like have all this information and would just lay it out for you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to check it out because this is kind of where I'm trying to go down. This is the path that I'm trying to go down. And so obviously YouTube knew exactly what I wanted. So it, it gave it to me. So I clicked to have a call with somebody mm-hmm. and I knew being married to Justin, him being a salesman, like I kind of know all the tactics. Like I know I can recognize things when I see them. So I knew this call was going to be someone to sell me on it because they obviously didn't give me a price up front. They're going to wait until the very end of our whole entire discussion of gaining rapport and like all that stuff. And then they'll finally give a price. Anyway, I went through this call with her. She was going through like making me dream about how this program is just going to change my life. Mm-hmm. She like asked me the questions of like, oh, what would you do if you made this much money and how would this make you feel? And like, just giving me all of it, you know? And I was like, okay, I know what you're doing, (laughs) but I'm going to go along with this. Anyway, I ended up getting the program. And the thing is, she didn't sell me well, but I knew this program had all this information in it. So I was like, I'm just going to do it. And they said I could get money back if I blah, blah, blah. So I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to see if there's good information in here. And then 
if it's not, then I'll just return it or end it and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, that that's the first thing that came into my mind was that experience. And you it canceled it the, the same, same day, day. Yeah. <laughs> within like 20 minutes. Yeah. Just because it I well, I did look at the course and I'm like, I feel like I could just figure this out by myself <laughs> mm-hmm. to kind of deconstruct what what she was trying to do and the reason why it didn't work. Because I think the, the content from looking at it with you, it seemed like good content, mm-hmm. like it probably could have could have worked for you. I feel like she kind of soured the experience. Yeah. The reason why she was trying to get you to to do that, you know, visualize what your life would be like, you know, if this happened and this happened and all that, is she was trying to utilize, basically speak to your subconscious sort of emotional self, mm-hmm. right? Um, but the the thing that she missed is she didn't so there's basically three and the the three aspects that need to be present whenever someone is truly persuaded of something are are actually contained in uh, Aristotle the Greek philosopher came up with his rhetorical triangle and that's what he called it or Aristotle's rhetoric and it's ethos pathos and logos which most people have heard but ethos basically is is ethic or credibility. And that basically could boil down to trust. So I think where she let, where she missed was that she didn't really gain your trust ever. Mm-hmm. And then the other part that she missed, so there, the, most salespeople are really good at pathos. Wait, can we go into trust for a second? Go ahead. Yeah. Because if we, if we bring this back into a perspective of picking a restaurant, mm-hmm. Like you kind of need to have that background of like, I pick good restaurants Yep. because if you don't pick good places to eat, people aren't going to trust you in that the next place. It's kind of like the boy who cried wolf. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, well the last place we ate you recommended and it wasn't great. So that's kind of where if you're not ethical about it and you're not being honest about, yeah, this restaurant is actually really good, Mm -hmm. then people are just going to see you as dishonest. Yeah. Or, or honest, but just not a good restaurant picker, you know, just someone that's not credible to pick a restaurant. Um, so yeah, credibility is huge and you get credibility through experience. Mm -hmm. So generally that's bad experience leads to good judgment, right. Or, or being credible comes from making mistakes again the other side of that like you mentioned is if you're dishonest or you're manipulative that's where people are in especially in 2021 i feel like people are more adept at picking up on lack of genuine effort or lack of genuine credibility Mm -hmm. like they can just they can tell yeah Um, sometimes unless someone is just really manipulative and they're just like I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. If someone's really good at putting on a, a you know, which a there face, are people who are, which is that. yeah, that's true. But I think you can get better at spotting it, especially as you sort of understand how people might gain trust. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times people will will gain trust by trying to find common ground. So they'll tell stories, or if you like something, they'll like that thing. I've talked to a lot of salespeople and they always find something that I do that's off the wall and random. And then they'll, oh yeah, I love that thing. It's like, oh really? You do? And what if I told you something completely different? Would you find a way to connect with that too? And the answer is probably yes. <laughs> so they, uh, salespeople are good. And that, you know, it's not evil. Finding common ground is good because people naturally want to associate with people that they, they see that are like them. Or that are like the way they would like to be. And good salespeople understand that. And persuasive people need to understand that they need to come from a place of common ground before they try to persuade someone. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think that's the thing that's so missed in today's culture of just, you know, the, especially on Facebook or, or all of these different causes that people are trying to get people to care about. They're not coming from a place of common ground. They're coming from a pla- an adver- adversarial place. But yeah, so that's the rule of thumb is always agree. 
and that sounds disingenuous because it's like, oh, I can't always agree with people, but you want to try to find common ground for the things that you do agree on before you try to persuade someone of, of a, a differing opinion. Mm-hmm. Another way to put it, my mentor, he always, always said this was seek to understand before being understood. And crucial in that seeking to understand is finding common ground. Because if you're always just seeking to be understood, you're not, you're not going to establish any common ground. And you're not going to build that trust that's foundational for any persuasion that needs to take place. Because think of the opposite. If you're not understanding the other person and where they've been and where they've eaten in the past, <laughs> I'm trying to keep this like yeah, keep it on the like same example. No, that's good. Yeah. But they're just not going to listen. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just going to think you have no idea where where I've been or my life. Yeah. You know, so right there, you just close the door mm-hmm. of them even listening to you. And that brings up another good point, which is empathy, where empathy is so important because, so there's sympathy and there's empathy. So sympathy would be if you were confiding in me about something and I said, I understand, I'm, I'm just like you. Well, I guess that's an attempt at empathy. But if you say, I understand, what someone's mind will almost always automatically think to themselves is you don't understand because you're not me. How can you understand me? People feel chronically and tragically misunderstood. And the better thing to do is to use empathy, which we can get into this. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but um, part of being empathetic is using phrases like, it sounds like, or it looks like, or it seems. Instead of, I understand, you say, I see, I see what you're saying. Or it seems like what you're saying is this. Um, and that empathy or empathetic statements are really important for letting people know that you're listening to them because people do feel misunderstood and it's hard for you to fulfill that seek to understand before being understood if you can't let people feel understood, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So what's the, let's keep it simple. First one. Ethos. Ethos. Trust. Gain so, trust. Foundation of trust, come from a place of agreement, seek to understand before being understood. That's, that's kind of the foundation. If we're thinking of sales or persuasion as, as a house, start with the foundation. The foundation always, is always trust, mm-hmm. common ground. Then we move to pathos. So, and this is the part that most salespeople, if, you, if you're being sold something, good salespeople or Pretty much any sales, but even bad salespeople are generally good at pathos because it's passion. So we all we've all had the experience where you're someone who's who's really good at getting excited or sounding excited or making other people feel excited just by the way that they talk with a lot of energy. Um, that's that that is crucial. But like the the girl who sold you the program, she had a lot of that spunk, like that passion for for what she was talking about but she she missed the ethos and the the logos and so pathos by itself doesn't work well how many people have been super passionate about something but felt like they just aren't heard Mm -hmm. it's like why aren't people just flocking to this news like i have so much passion you'd think people would just be attracted to the passion yep yeah, and that's that's like the great misconception where people think just to be persuasive, they just have to get more loud. Yeah. And it doesn't work like that. It just doesn't. Um, and I remember when I first, my first sort of exposure to sales was my mentor got me into multi-level marketing, which I didn't end up being successful at all at. And, but it did teach me a lot um, and taught me a lot of things that I didn't want to be as a salesperson. Mm-hmm. But it was... All I knew how to do was was to try to just speak more passionately and just try to just get my message across with more vigor and more, I don't know, I don't even know another adjective to, to describe it, um, but I, I just needed to, to try to brute force passion my way to making sales and it just never works because it, it doesn't persuade people. Mm-hmm. People just feel like 
you're you're hitting them bombarded. with this wall of energy and you're just like okay it's too much i don't want to hear anymore I, like i know you're trying to sell me something which is just going to make people put their put their walls up and now this is the same with anything that you're trying to persuade anyone of so the only way for pathos to work is to have that passion but to also accompany it with accompany it with credibility and trust and then logic on the back end, which we'll get to. There's another lesson here where a lot of people try to, they, they have the opposite problem where they're trying to persuade someone of something with all logic or all trust, but they don't have any passion. Mm-hmm. And that is equally as ineffective because if you're trying, you're trying to push your message just with facts and you don't have any real emotion or conviction behind it, that is, it's not going to work as well. So all three of these things are just as crucial, but well, none of them can outweigh. Well, that's why it's a triangle, right? Yeah. Yeah. They need one to balance each other. One can't work without the other two. Yep. So let's jump into logos then. So logos is interesting because you'll, you'll notice, and next time you're in, someone is trying to sell you something, um, pay attention to see if they, if they do this. Because normally, if they're, if they're trained well, they're going to use a lot of passion Once they've established some rapport or trust, they've gotten some common ground. They're going to use passion to to get you really excited about what it is that they're selling. And then at the end, they're going to logically justify the purchase. So it'll be something like, yeah, look at the features on this. Like it's, you know, say it's a car. It's like, oh, it has, you know, whatever new feature it is Bluetooth enabled and, you know, all these new things as a moonroof and it has anti you know, the traction control and whatever else. And they're going to be really excited about that. And then when they get to the, the end of the presentation, they say, and if you think about it, it comes with the warranty and you're going to save a lot of money. And they're going to go through these sort of rationalizations. And the reason that they do that is because they know that the subconscious mind is going to make the decision where it's going to get that feeling of certainty and enthusiasm, enthusiasm. And it's going to say, I got to have it. But they know that when you leave, if it's something, especially if it's something that you don't really need, it's just a a material sort of luxury, they know you're going to leave and you're going to get buyer's remorse. You're going to say, or you're going to go tell someone that you got that and they're going to say, you got ripped off or you paid way too much or why did you buy that? We couldn't afford that or any other thing that's like everyone's had. So they're going to give you logical justifications on the back end so that when you do get those feelings or those, oh man, maybe I shouldn't have bought that. Maybe that was too much. You can say, well, but the, you know, it does come with the warranty or yeah, but I'm actually getting a really good rate this way by purchasing now or, you know, different things, but it's always a logical justification on the back end because you, once you come down from that, that passion high that they give you, you need something of substance and stats to sort of reassure yourself that you made a good decision yeah which people don't realize is happening but it anytime you're in a, a sales situation with a good salesperson that's it is it's happening and so the lesson there needs to be if you are trying to persuade someone again the passion needs to be there but then you need to back it up with actual fact and knowledge to recap we've gone over ethos build a foundation of trust seek to understand before being understood pathos Bring some passion and conviction to what you're saying. And if you don't have passion or conviction, you should do a little more research on the thing until you do. So you really are bought into what you're trying to persuade someone of. And if that's picking better restaurants, maybe go to the restaurant and write down everything you like about, you know, the experience. And if that's that important to you to become a good restaurant picker. A uh, foodie. A foodie. Yeah, because we're terrible foodies. Yeah. You and I. But Bray, my brother is a great foodie. But he has, he, see, he's got credibility. So if he were to just recommend anything, we'd be like, okay. We would just go. And it would be way better. Like we probably would pick that over any other restaurant that we knew about because we're scared of having a lame experience at a restaurant. Well, that's the problem with going out to eat. Like you don't want to waste your money on something that's and not your time. good. Yeah. And that is the, a perfect example. People are, we are indecisive. We, all, we know that they're, you know, the economic principle, there's no such thing as a free lunch. If I do this, that means I have to sacrifice something else. And we have FOMO. Everyone has FOMO. 
especially now in the age that we live in, where there's so much opportunity to do so many different things with our time. We know that if we commit ourselves to something, we're going to miss out on something else. And so we need persuasive people in our lives or people of credibility that can be persuasive for lots of different things because it helps us to not waste our time and to feel good about the things that we do commit ourselves to. Mm -hmm. Because commitment is super important. Like being committed to something is really important. But when you live in a constant state of FOMO, you don't commit to anything. Like you never make commitments. And that is a really, that's actually more on a more serious note. That is a big issue that I see with the youth of today, which they just don't commit to things because they, they have FOMO because there's too many opportunities. Right. So we need persuasive people more than ever. And we need persuasive people on our teachers. We need persuasive people on our doctors. We need persuasive people in... We need good persuasive role models and, you know, influencers or celebrities. Like they need to be influencing people to be committed people. Mm-hmm. Not just, you know, it doesn't matter what, what it is that they're committing to. Well, it does matter, but, you know, it's not as important what they're committing to. Just that people need to be more committed and hold themselves accountable than they are. Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> Woo! Anyway. So another way to think about ethos, pathos, logos is Jordan Belfort's The Wolf of Wall Street. He's turned his life around. He's ethical now. Um, (laughs) I feel like I always have to put that disclaimer. But his, so ethos, pathos, logos, his is sharp as a tack, enthusiastic as heck, and a figure of authority. Well, that's not in the same order. Figure of authority would be more related to ethos, credibility, um, enthusiastic, obviously, pathos, and then sharp as attack is is generally the logos. Like you have your facts, you can deliver your facts in a very precise and sharp way that makes the facts stick. People actually believe that your your facts are sound. Mm-hmm. They'll accept them. Now that we've talked about, we've brought it. You brought up your brother and recommending restaurants. I cannot stop thinking about. Thai, the Thai food place that we ate at. My mouth is like watering for it. <laughs> Which one? The one that we had. Oh. Just other. If you ever go to Portland. What's it called? What's it called? Eem. Eem. E-E-M or E-M-M? I can't remember. Probably. Oh, it's so good. It's like Thai. It's a fusion. And barbecue fusion. Oh my gosh, it's so good. It is so good. If you go get the white curry and brisket. Oh, I want that right now. <laughs> you'll die. I don't even like brisket that much. And I, I, it knocked me out yeah. with joy. With joy. I loved it. Anyway, okay. I like didn't even hear what you just said because I was thinking about that. <laughs> um, but you guys heard, and I'm going to edit this podcast, so I will re-listen to it anyway. So no need to repeat yourself. Let's keep going. Okay, so the last couple things that we'll get into are, are more kind of granular sort of, I guess, life hack type um, sales or persuasion tips, uh, but they're really, really cool, and I wanted to share them. So the first two will be what's called the friendship formula and the curiosity hook. These can be found in the book, The Like Switch by Jack Schaefer, former FBI interrogator, used principles of uh, attraction and getting people, the people that he was interrogating to like him instead of using torture. Hmm. And was very, very successful as an FBI interrogator. So really, really fascinating. I, it's one of my favorite books of all time. You got to read it. The friendship, or yeah, the like switch. And we're going to talk about the friendship formula first. So essentially, in all of his, if he was trying to turn a spy, make make him a double spy, so like a Russian spy, turn him to be a double agent, so that he was really pretending to be a Russian spy, but really a spy for the Americans type of thing, or whatever sting or setup or interrogation he, he ran, he always used what he called the friendship formula. And it's essentially the formula for getting people to see you favorably. And so this is really going to rely heavily on the rapport building or common ground building um, side of persuasion. But essentially it has four elements. 
and it's basically a formula. So you can think of them as adding them together. So the first is proximity. Second is frequency. Next is duration. And last is intensity. And so, for example, proximity would be how close you are to someone, which... Like physically close? Physically close. So how, uh, how much you occupy their space. So this would be like if you are trying to make friends and you go to a place where people that you would like to be friends with spend time. Maybe it's the, the Curiosity Museum where you take Remy so that he can meet other kids. If you were wanting to go there to meet other young moms and make friends. Proximity. So you need to find a way to... Unfortunately, I have to stay six feet. Yes, proximity, oh, okay. is, proximity is a little more difficult right now. But the idea is if you're the, the closer in proximity, the, if you're in the same proximity as people, that's obviously step one. Seems obvious, but people don't understand it, especially in the age of the internet. The next is frequency. And frequency kind of has a, a, a correlated relationship with duration or an inverse relationship with duration. So frequency meaning if you wanted to, for example, when you see someone that you haven't seen in a year, the duration is much more important. It needs to be a longer duration because you don't see each other as frequently. Does that make sense? Yeah. But if you see someone every day, like you and me, we have so much frequency that the duration can be much lower for us to have uh, uh, emotional connection. So if you like take Like we don't have to talk every second? We don't have to have, yeah, we don't have to have as much duration of, which is the last point, intensity. So intensity would be some sort of emotional connection. It could be curiosity. It could be love. It could be you know, whatever you want to, whatever strong emotion. So intensity is the, the last piece of this. But if, if the frequency is low, then duration needs to be high for this to work. Whereas if duration is low, then frequency needs to be high. So if you don't spend much time with people, then you need to have more frequent, you need to interact with them more frequently. So in the same example of if you were going to the Curiosity Museum to try to make friends with other young moms, if you you probably won't be able to have much duration with them unless you like took a class together or you enrolled your kid in the same finger painting class with other young moms and that would give you an increased duration where you can make friends. Um, if you don't have that, then the frequency needs to be there higher. So the example that he gives from the book with this is they had, there was a person who was a double agent they were trying to turn. And every day, the agent who was trying to turn this Russian spy to the American side would go into the same grocery store with the agent because they noticed that the, the guy would always go in and buy peas at the same grocery store every day. So they just, first they got in close proximity and then they frequently had interactions with them where they would just go into the same store every day. And so it seems simple, but it's like it, over time, it started to build the, the intensity, which was curiosity in this case. And eventually the guy actually turned. But anyway, I won't go into the whole story. <laughs> but the idea there is proximity, frequency, duration, and intensity. And if you're struggling to make friends or build rapport with people, you're probably missing one of those four. Okay. Enough said. So the next is coming from, or so the curiosity hook. So wait, how does that play in with persuasion? So it plays in with persuasion because the common ground or the rapport building aspect or building trust is hard if people don't like you. Because the rule is people are governed by status. And then we've talked about this on other episodes, but the idea that, you know, someone who has a Tesla in the driveway, they, they like the status that that brings them in a correlated way. If people, someone who is really, really thrifty is thrifty because that brings them status. They perceive that they'll receive respect or status for their thrift and the responsibility that they show by being thrifty. So everyone is driven by status and people will only associate with someone that they see as being able to add to their status. Meaning they'll only, associate, they'll only respect or really want to associate with people 
or be persuaded by people who are like them, common ground, or like the way they would like to be because they perceive it'll give them an increase in status. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so if you think about it from from building the point standpoint of building trust or common ground with people, think about so I used to always give this example when we were when I was selling door to door, when I was managing door to door reps, because they struggled to understand that they needed to come across as someone that the person when they knocked on that door, the person who opened it needed to want to talk with them. And so the idea was I tell them to picture, okay, picture the most popular person in your high school, picture the absolute least popular person in your high school. And it's terrible to think about this, but this is a good way to illustrate the point. So imagine you're at your house, you're in high school, status is everything. You get a knock on the door. You open the door and the most popular kid in school is there, or let's just start it with the least popular kid. Like, what are you going to feel when, if the, if the least popular kid knocks on your door, what, what are going to be your first sort of gut reactions when you open the door? Um, first off, it would probably be, I don't know. I don't know. What you don't reaction? know this person. You're kind of like, what's going on here? Why also, are they I at my house? You might know them. Maybe you don't know them. I don't know. But, you know, it's the least popular kid in school. Let's just say neither the most popular or the least popular kid in school are your friend. They're just people that you know of. Okay. If they knock on your door, least popular kid in school, you're probably going to be a little bit like on guard. Like, why Why are they here? I don't really know them. They're not... Oh, knocks on my door? Yes. Yes. Knocks on your door. Oh, okay. Um, I'd be like, hey. Yeah, you'd be, you'd be kind of <laughs> thrown off. Now, picture you equally distant to both both parties. The most popular person in school knocks on your door. You're a high schooler. You open the door. Absolute most popular person knocks on your door. What are you thinking? I'd probably be on my, like, A game. Yeah, right? But you don't know them any better than you know the least popular kids. So why are you naturally going to respond more favorably to them? Right. So the idea is you perceive that they can add to your status. Yeah. And so the reason why the friendship formula is so important in persuasion is because you, the, the most popular kid in school understood the friendship formula intuitively most of the time. They didn't, didn't study it. They just understood how to make people like them. Yeah. And people, the, people that are popular are generally more persuasive because people want to associate with them. So they already start with a leg up with an advantage. So the idea is the friendship formula will help you to become more like the most popular kid Perfect. in the example. Perfect. Okay. You'll just be you'll become you'll you'll become better at establishing rapport and coming across as a person who can add to someone's status, and therefore it will give you more of a benefit of the doubt when it comes time to try to persuade them of something. Okay, I get it. So that's the that's a friendship formula. Next is the curiosity hook. So the curiosity hook is, is from the, the book. Let's go back to the example of the Curiosity Museum, which isn't, doesn't have any correlation to the, the curiosity hook. It's just a place <laughs> where you take Remy. But um, you go to the, the Curiosity Museum. If you don't have, you can be in proximity, you can have frequency, and you can have uh, duration. But if you don't have a way to get someone's attention or make them want to get to know you or at least be curious about you, then it's not, it's not going to work. Like you're just not going to make that connection because we, we generally don't step outside of our bubble and just start talking to people we don't know unless there's some sort of pull. So the curiosity hook is designed to create that pull. And the example from the book was the author was working with someone after he got out of the FBI, he was, he was doing like consulting of people who wanted to have more friends. I think it was a a student in his class. He taught at a university. The student said, I want to meet people. I'm new in town and I want to make friends, but I don't know how. And so he instructed him. He said, you need a curiosity hook. So he said, do you have any places that you go frequently? Yeah, well, I go to this bar and I, I, I just keep to myself. I don't talk to anyone. I said, okay, well, you need to start putting the friendship formula in place, but first you need to create intensity, the last piece of the friendship formula. And the way that you're going to do that is with a curiosity hook. 
And the curiosity hook that he told me is he said, well, do you have any unique hobbies or interests? He said, well, yeah, I like marbles. I collect marbles. Okay. Do you have, you know, a bag of marbles that you could bring with you to the bar? I said, yeah. Okay. Like, that's weird though. I don't want to bring a bag of marbles. He's like, trust me. <laughs> he goes to the bar and he says, what I want you to do is I want you to take your, your monocle or whatever your magnifying glass you use to inspect your marbles. I want you to sit down at the bar and I want you to take out the marbles one by one and I want you to look at them, set them aside. And then when you've gone through all of them, put them back in the bag. He said, just do this every night for like two weeks. And eventually the guy kind of became known as the marble guy. <laughs> and then the, the bartender started to ask him like, hey, why, why do you always bring these marbles in? said, well, I, I like to collect marbles. I said, oh, that's cool. What, like, what about marbles is cool? Like, why do you like to collect them? And he started to get to know the bartender, which is like a very crucial connection to make in a bar, right? Because the bartender knows everybody. So the bartender started to help him make connections and eventually he made friends. So anyway, the idea being, if you can have something that kind of just piques people's curiosity, that is a good way to fulfill the last piece of the friendship formula, which is intensity. So when in doubt, use curiosity. It's a fantastic book. You got to read it. So that's for the two pieces from The Like Switch, Jack Schaefer. Net last, we can wrap up because I feel like I'm going on and on. I could geek out on this but stuff for I'm hours. Too. I'm just like fascinated. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, so the last two are mirrors and labels. Mirrors and labels are going to be used throughout any persuasion process. Anytime you're persuading someone, you're going to be using mirrors and labels. And they're really just ways of using empathy. So a mirror is essentially repeating back to someone the last one to three. It starts off when you're, when you're a novice at this. It'll be the last one to three words that they said to you in the form of a question. And really all it's designed to do is get them to continue talking. It gives them permission to go deeper in, in depth onto you know, whatever it is they were talking about. And so if, if someone was saying, you know, I don't think, let's just take a sales example because it's the only thing that's coming to mind right now. Say, oh, I don't think that, you know, we're going to buy just because, you know, it's, it's been kind of rough with COVID and I, I don't think that we, you know, I don't think we can afford it. So a mirror would be, don't think you can afford it? And then you just silent. And say, well, yeah, I don't think we can afford it because, you know, we're, and it, but that's more than just mirroring. That's using silence. Because well, the, people yeah. feel awkward in silence, so they feel like they need to respond, which makes them, mm -hmm. you're making them talk themselves into it. Well, it's, it's really just getting them to open up more. So it's, it's generally, in sales, the most dangerous objection is the one that's never voiced. So thinking about it strictly from a sales perspective, but it's equally as applicable on a persuasion. Anytime you're trying to persuade someone of something, people generally don't like to give all of their cards, especially if they feel like convicted about the thing that you're trying to persuade them of. If they don't want to change it or if there's some resistance to change, they're not going to share everything. And so part of persuasion, and this, again, this is becoming much more in-depth than I really planned it to be, but Part of persuasion is getting people to voice those unspoken objections that they don't want to voice for fear of being persuaded. And sometimes yeah. if someone needs to change something or they, they want to change something, but they're just holding off on not doing it, there's, there's often these things that they're sort of holding dear that are their objections, their sort of rationalizations for staying the same. And if you're going to help them to get over that or persuade them of a better way, you need them to voice those things. And so the mirror is helpful for getting them to voice those unspoken objections. So just repeat the last one to three words that they said. You'll start to pick just random phrases or phrases that make the most sense to mirror as you get better at it. But just doing that will really be helpful in getting people to, one, feel heard. It's a form of empathy. And two, start to feel comfortable just giving more information or going deeper. And most of the time when they do that, they'll actually sort of solve their own problem because when they voice it and they finally let that thing that they've been sort of holding onto out. So basically with this strategy, you're becoming a therapist. It's almost like therapy, <laughs> but it's, it's more so, yeah, it's just a, a tool. 
a tool for helping to get people to voice unspoken objections, which is more important than people realize in persuasion. And then paired with that is a label. So going back to the example, we can't afford it. Can't afford it? Silent. Well, yeah, we can't afford it. We're just, you know, we we didn't make as much revenue this, you know, this quarter as we were expecting to. And I think we just probably need to hold off. And then you can use a series of mirrors to get them to keep keep talking until you've uncovered exactly what the real concern is. And then you use a label to help them put that emotion or that uncertainty that they're feeling in a box. And so a label would be, you know, it seems like this isn't so much a question of the cost as, you know, a question of we're not going to bring the value. You don't believe we're going to bring the value to you that we say we will. So essentially the formula for a label is to say something like, it seems, it looks like, it sounds like, and then summarize whatever it is that you've uncovered as their main concern. Okay. If you do that, then they're, if they agree and they say that's right, then you've nailed it on the head and that's the thing that you help them to get over. Okay, well... Anyway, who knew I had a husband, a salesman, and a therapist all in one? It's kind of what good salespeople are. Just all around. Well, there's in a way they're therapists because they ask a lot of questions, get the other person to talk, help them voice unspoken or unsolidified concerns that they might have in their gut. Yeah. Anyway. Well, lots of good information in here. <laughs> Hopefully, it wasn't too much in the weeds. I tend to geek out on this stuff just because I've been doing it for so many years, but yeah. there's a lot of, there's a lot of good books out there. Um, the mirrors and labels from never split the difference by Chris Voss, the friendship formula, uh, and the curiosity hook, the light switch, Jack Schaefer, great, great books. Anyway, take something from this. Hopefully it was helpful. Hopefully you found it valuable and enlightening. And yeah, I think there's a lot of different, you can take these tools into different aspects of your life. It doesn't necessarily need to be persuasion. Like mm-hmm. it can be just making friends or just being a likable person or I don't know, like there's different, there's different aspects of life that you can take these tools into. So, yeah. And the next time that you find yourself needing to be persuasive, hopefully you'll, you'll understand more effective ways of doing it. Yeah. Well, anyway, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode and we will catch you on the next one.